0: Hello and welcome everyone to uh, Study of X We're an X-Men podcast that is going to be covering the Krakowat era in chronological order Uh, This week we are covering issue 1 of Excalibur and issue 1 of New Mutants Uh, I am your host Tim and with me as always is Chris and Sergio Hey!
1: Did you know that the deep lore of Great Britain extends to the multiverse? Because we're about to learn that
0: what, what, what did you figure out about Excalibur?
1: Oh, I have so many tabs open about Excalibur and the amulet of right or the amulet of might and how it's the collective will of the British people and a whole bunch of other stuff.
2: I'm so ready to learn about the British
1: the secret lore of Britain that they just didn't tell us about
2: i've I've never wanted more um, to learn about the British.
0: The British and Magic specifically.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It clearly one and the same, obviously.
0: Yeah, so uh yeah, interesting uh two issues here. I'm kind of excited to see how this goes. Uh but yeah, wanna wanna jump into it?
1: Yeah, so we're gonna start off with the I suppose weirder of the two first. Uh we are at Excalibur number one, uh Verse One, the accolade of Betsy Braddock. It is written by Teeny Howard and was released originally in October of 2019. And right at the start here, we have a declaration from Apocalypse uh, as he reveals himself to his fellow magicians around the world and essentially states that because mutants now have a place to thrive, they're going to take magic back.
0: Look, Apocalypse uh, really just wanted an audience for his poetry. Let's, Let's be real.
1: It, yeah, he did. He really did.
0: Uh
2: huh. I I didn't know that Apocalypse was a magician of any kind. Yeah, I
0: I don't know if he traditionally was. I don't know if you've looked into this at all, Chris. Uh, but yeah, I this might be something he just decided he was interested in.
1: I have not looked into it. Uh. But from what I've read of Apocalypse and other stories, I don't think he ever did. He just kind of had mutant powers. He never really mentioned magic. But I'm kind of into the idea that he was super into magic at some point, because that's really fun.
2: Like he just like, picked it up one day?
1: Mm-hmm. And was like, you know what? This will make me better. This will make me stronger.
2: Do you think he started with like, Slave of Hand and like, card tricks?
1: I didn't, yeah. but now I do.
0: Yeah, Apocalypse just, uh, putting quarters behind Xavier's ear. Uh Uh-huh. Just, he's that really annoying dude in the Quiet Council.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, you want to see a new card trick?
0: Uh, so, yeah, this whole thing is him pretty much, pretty much just, uh, saying that they want to take magic back. But the thing I do think is interesting is it feels like he kind of renounces his ideology here. Uh... For millennia, I have believed that these traits made us strong, just kind of talking about them suffering. No longer must we believe this lie. Like, it's a complete reversal of his previous kind of thought process and where he thought we needed to take the mutants.
1: Yeah, which Hmm. is very interesting for him. So, we'll we'll see how that plays out, especially as he's going to be delving more into the magic side, which for Marvel traditionally, I believe, is the strongest form of any kind of fighting or energy that you can use is magic. It kind of trumps technology and a lot of other things.
2: Yeah, I, I respect him being open to like trying new things.
1: I also just think it's funny that as he's revealing this to all magicians, that means Doctor Strange probably got this message too.
0: Yeah, this is a... Uh, he, he sent a... He, he CC'd all in this... Just everyone got this email.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, we are going to go to the wild and wonderful place that is the Otherworld. Uh, Camelot, at,
0: specifically.
1: Yeah, Camelot specifically. Uh, to give a brief rundown of what Otherworld is, imagine if all Arthurian legends were real, and they lived in a side universe that could connect to our universe. Just the, Sure. The, the barest of minimum of what that is so far. Uh, And we see here one of the first and many faces we're going to see is Morgan Le Fay. She has taken charge of Camelot as King Arthur is currently missing. And she brings one of the knights in as they're currently being attacked by the White Queen. And she wants to know what is poisoning the pools of Avalon as there seems to be this plant-like growth coming from beneath the waters itself.
0: Uh the, the white witch, I think, is the uh the name here. What the white queen is Emma Frost. Is it
1: the white? I believe you are correct.
2: But it'd be fun if it was Emma Frost.
0: Yeah, right. That would I agree. Be, I would I would
1: actually think that would be very fun.
0: But yeah, she does uh she does not seem to be happy about some uh vegetation growing in her well.
2: Yeah. Uh the pool kid hasn't been able to make it to the castle uh lately because of the siege going on.
0: Yeah, just let it get real dirty. I don't know if drowning a man in it is going to help, but, you know, I'm not a magician.
1: Yeah, I don't know. That might be a magic thing. We'll probably have to ask somebody who is from Britain. They, they could probably help us out there. So, uh, and speaking of that, uh, we are also going to hop over to someplace completely different as we head over to the Braddock Academy in England, where we meet uh, Betsy Braddock, her brother Brian, and a couple other people as she is preparing for her trip through the Krakoan Gate to head to Mutant Paradise.
2: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, uh, this is Megan. Uh, I believe this is, um, I believe that's her name. That is Brian's wife. Uh, she was a member of Excalibur with, uh, Brian, the original team, at least. Uh, is
2: that a team of mutants going the, into the other world?
0: Uh, yeah. So I, I I guess we should talk about the original Excalibur real quick. So uh, the original team was a team of uh, I think it was Captain Britain, uh, Megan here, and then uh, Nightcrawler, Kitty Pride, and uh, Prestige, who's Rachel Summers. Um, And Mm. yeah, they were just a team that lived in a weird white lighthouse and went on weird dimensional adventures.
1: Mm -hmm. And And, uh, something specific to note about Excalibur is they're very specifically uh, tied with Great Britain. Uh, They're almost always a government sponsored team of individuals who work for Great Britain or at least with them because Otherworld is fully tied to that part of the world.
0: Yeah, the, the lighthouse they're living in is just off the coast of Great Britain.
2: Has there ever been a collaboration with James Bond?
0: I don't think so. I could absolutely be wrong on that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they have not met Mr. Bond.
1: No, I don't think so, but I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility. Uh, because I do know Betsy did work for the super-powered secret service that they had over there briefly. I believe it was called Strike. Uh, but I don't know if specifically 007 was there.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I don't think MGM is very willing to share the rights around like that, but they must have at least had one fake James Bond that they, they were. With. I,
0: I would not be shocked if there was a knockoff James Bond at some point in Excalibur history. Someone someone please email us if there was a weird James Bond at some point at studyofx at com.
1: And it could uh, even be 006. Doesn't matter.
0: Uh, anyway, uh, some, some more history here with uh, Betsy. Uh, so this is a little bit of a controversial character in Marvel history. Uh, so Betsy was introduced pretty much as she is now, originally, to the X-Men uh, but she ended up swapping bodies with another character we'll end up meeting later, Psylocke, and then became Psylocke. Uh, and this lasted for a very long while, and that change didn't get reverted till somewhat recently.
1: Yeah, so the, the key thing about that also is, uh, the body that she took over is a woman named, uh, I might be incorrect about that pronunciation, Uh, but she is from Japan. She was raised to be a killer, Uh, and they did get body swaps. So Betsy was in her body, and Quanon was in Betsy's body. Well, I think
0: think Quanon just didn't exist.
1: uh, She did, actually. She did exist for a bit, but she died fairly soon after the switch and was just Mm -hmm. left dead for a very long time.
0: Right, yeah. So I, I don't know if she took Betsy's body, but Betsy did take hers.
1: Yeah, so Betsy was wearing her face, took the name Psylocke, and that's who everybody essentially knows her as, is with the face of another woman and the name Psylocke. So that is a very key point to remember here, uh, as when Betsy does go through the portal, she is greeted by a beach full of people who are just hanging out and having a good time, and they all introduce... or. They all say hello to either Betsy or Psylocke, and she clearly does not look un. She does not look comfortable with that name.
0: Yeah, uh, very awkward. Please don't smile. Uh, I like sure. a- understandable. I-, I really like the panel of Apocalypse just looking over this party with his cape on, though.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Apocalypse here has a wonderfully named place called the Grove of Theoretical Gates. And I'm unsure if these are windows or just kind of creepy surveillance uh, plant things. But he is. He's looking over this beach party and is just reminiscing about how finally mutants can do this and relax and have dreams in the future and all sorts of fun things. And he changes his name into something Krocoan that unfortunately none of us can pronounce.
2: Uh I'm sorry, it's
1: Yeah, oh, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That no, you're was... right. Yeah, okay. That I that do th- does make sense.
1: I do think we are gonna have to cut that out though, but that's okay.
0: Uh wait, what's what's wrong with saying
1: well, mostly... Yeah, it sounds good to me. Mostly, I don't want them to get mad at us, because, you know, the Krokoan language is for mutants, and I don't believe any of us are mutants, at least so far. So we, we don't want to get that kind of stuff all over this podcast. Uh, okay. I mean,
0: that do you not know of?
1: None that we know of, that's true. That's true.
0: We we can just call them Apocalypse.
1: Yeah, we're just going to call them Apocalypse.
2: All right. Yeah, it's... Um, going to be tiring if I keep doing these edits.
0: Yeah, that's, that's very fair. Uh, All right. Tr- Trinari here, I cannot tell if this is sarcasm about pronouncing it or not. Uh, I, I think it is because later she just calls him Apocalypse and he has to correct her. Uh-huh.
1: Which is, funnily enough, a reoccurring theme in this issue as Betsy tries to do that with the Psylocke name and Apocalypse with his new name.
0: Yeah, we're we're very much leaving past identities behind in Krakow era.
1: Mm-hmm. And also We've... past costumes as Apocalypse has some wonderful flowing robes and no shirt. Yeah,
0: yeah, I I like this look. He's he's really embraced the uh magician. Yeah, very regal.
1: And here is where we get our first connection to the other world. As it seems like Apocalypse has been playing around with this gate that showed up that nobody knows where it goes. And he had some of the scientists look at it, but they weren't able to figure anything out. So he says, of course you weren't able to figure it out because it's not science, it's magic. And he begins to bring up the legend of Camelot and the other world. Because he believes that this is probably where the gate goes.
2: Yeah, I wonder what his interest in breaching it is. Is it that he senses they're in trouble?
0: Or is it just curiosity? I, I'm guessing it's curiosity from Apocalypse. I, I really don't think there's anything of him wanting to help out. I think he just sees the yeah, like, gate and he's like, Yeah, let's see where this goes. This mm-hmm. God will. Uh, honestly, I, uh, of everything in this issue, I find his characterization here the most interesting. I like him just kind of poking around at this stuff while everyone else is just taking this very seriously.
1: Same. Uh, he, he kind of frames it a certain way. Uh, he says, these kind of things can't be diagnosed, they can only be discovered. And I think that really gives you a good insight into his mindset here. Of This is a relatively very new thing for mutants at large. Sure, he knows magic himself, and there are a couple other mutants that know magic. But traditionally, mutants just relied on their own powers and nothing else.
0: Uh, something else I want to note about Apocalypse here. He, again, very much seems like a true believer. Uh, very optimistic about Krakoa and seems very pleased by the whole concept.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And also pleased to push it as far as it can go. Uh, he mentions that, you know, man first walked on the moon, but it's mutants who now build homes there. So what else can they do? How far can they push this technology that they now have? And some of this technology that he is pushing for is the superiority of the X over the circle. So uh, I'm yeah, sure this... he really loves playing tic-tac-toe and always picks the X.
0: Yeah, th- this is uh, this is weird. I don't, I don't know what the I don't know what the hell Apocalypse is talking about here. Uh, we we get a data page with some absolute nonsense about as below, so above, and how the X is the superior. Character and magic, I, 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 got nothing.
2: Look, I've read some like Foucault's pendulum, like Umberto Eco stuff, um, semiotics, and this I think is like referencing like alchemical um, magic writings. Like this, this is very similar to what like Aleister Crowley would write. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's just evoking. Uh, that mode of writing.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. It It is referencing a lot of, like, occult stuff, especially with the as above, so below. Uh, it's where it kind of tries to twist it into the X is superior than a circle, that it kind of loses me a little bit, but I do see what they're going for. I mean, the state page is even called the and Grimoires, so they're trying to kind of set a stage for this future of magic for mutants.
0: My, yeah
2: this is the kind of logic you would find in someone trying to justify their method for turning lead into gold
0: yeah um i i really do like how matter of fact the uh the statement about the x's though just the X as superior requires only four like yeah like, obviously mm-hmm, obviously
1: yeah. Yeah. so but after we learn that the X is vastly superior than the Circle, uh, we're going to go somewhere else again, as we are here at Fairgreen Hall in North Yorkshire, as we meet the Coven Solar Blackwood, uh, which is a group of humans that are trying to figure out why a ancient spirit has summoned itself in this place. Uh, they are about to stop it when it comes forward and announces itself as the Herald of Morgan Le Fay.
0: Also, a uh, cool name, uh, Solar Solar Blackwood, A+. A+, plus.
1: Mm-hmm. A, plus, a very cool. good, creepy magic name.
2: So are they in the middle of uh, performing their own ritual and it kind of got hijacked, or did they be, like, get attacked suddenly?
1: It kind of looks like they just suddenly got attacked. I don't know if this is just where they hang out, or they're like, oh, there's a ghost here, let's go check it out, like they're Scooby-Doo. It's yeah, I... not really clear.
0: I I want to say this is like their their kind of home, it seems like.
2: Hmm. They they clearly seem to know what they're doing. Right.
1: Yeah, one of them stabs herself in the hand above a bunch of symbols trying to banish the ghost, but they're not quick enough as Morgan Le Fay manifests herself here and pretty much talks down to all of these individuals, uh, telling them that they have to find the source of this horrific the word I'm looking for. Disease that has plagued the pools of Avalon. And she says that these are likely something witch-breed and that they must find the source of it and destroy it, or else humans will not be able to ad- uh, to access the magic that she allows them to use.
0: Um, Yeah, they they pretty quickly identify this as, oh, those are Krakowin. Uh, and they comment that this is a mutant thing, they don't really they can't really do anything she does not care
2: yeah, very conveniently so uh, the mutants are gonna come to her
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no, very convenient that everything is coming together here uh, and something to note is she does call mutants witch witchbreed uh, and she's gonna continue to do this, it doesn't really change uh, we will find the origin of that much later uh, but it is a fun little twist on it it's a very interesting way to look at mutants. They have these superpowers. Who else has powers? Which is, you know, kind of makes sense.
2: Yeah, I kind of read that as just the the way she would interpret people having powers that do not come from her own source of magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, given, given her perspective and the fact that she lives in uh, fictional Camelot.
0: It's interesting, yeah, you're you're pretty much seeing mutants from a perspective of someone that just doesn't really have a concept of them. Yeah.
1: So while she lays down her rules for them to go find these witch breed, we're back on Krakoa again as Betsy is hanging out. And for a brief moment there, she does make eye contact with the woman whose body she stole, uh, Quanon. Uh, very quickly, though, she is thankfully taken out of that situation by Jubilee and her son, Shogo, uh, as they ask her if she wants to go do something. But she is again interrupted, uh, this time by Egg of the Five.
0: Uh, yeah, I think he changed his name. Uh, I think this is our first time hearing him by the name Egg.
1: Yes, she does uh, s- say hello to him and call him calls him Fabio, which she's like, no, 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 it's Egg now. And even Betsy's like, yeah, that's that's not going to stick, buddy.
0: So yeah, this is the, uh, the former gold balls now. Uh, but yeah, um, doesn't seem too happy about Betsy's brother hanging out in one of the eggs.
1: Yes, and we're about to be introduced to Jamie Braddock as he is sitting completely naked in a pod of some kind, maybe once an egg, kind of unclear. Uh, as he's just kind of hanging out and having a good time. Even though Fabio says most people leave after about a few minutes. But he's been here for a long time. Can you please get him to leave?
0: Uh, he says he's been doing really gross stuff in there. Uh, yep.
2: I, I deeply hate his mustache.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. The, this man is just the sleaziest of sleaze.
2: Yeah, just bad vibes all around. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it matches his personality because one of the first things he says to his sister, who also clearly does not want to see him either, is, hey, it's like we're a family again. Just like when mom and dad died. You remember that? That was a good time.
0: Yeah, just, man.
1: <laughs> man, maybe maybe don't say that.
0: Just one of the first thing he says to her is just one of the rudest things you can say. Uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, bad vibes. Is, yeah, bad bad vibes as a person. Um, Betsy proceeds does,
2: to clean up at least.
1: Yes, he he does at least clean up his mess, which is nice. Um, and Betsy mentions that maybe their brother Brian would enjoy seeing him again, which Jamie replies with, "I don't care about humans anymore. Even my own brother. I'm just gonna sit here and be on mutant paradise and do whatever I want."
0: Uh, yeah, he he doesn't intend to leave. I guess they're just going to have to bring Brian here.
1: And thankfully, we have our friend Apocalypse showing up just at the right moment to stop and almost fight uh, as he says he needs uh, Brian's help with something as he believes that the other world is connected to this portal and he needs somebody who can readily go to that space, which Captain Britain is able to do.
0: Uh, I really I really enjoy Egg and this whole exchange. Uh, He's just, he really just wants them to leave.
1: Yeah, poor guy probably has to deal with a lot of garbage.
0: Yeah. But anyway...
1: And a general theme of this uh, number one so far is everything is very conveniently timed. Uh, So Betsy goes back through the portal, back to her home and she's able to catch her brother just as he finishes putting on his Captain Britain outfit, as apparently there is trouble in Otherworld, and he has been summoned to deal with it. Uh,
0: Chris, what did you learn about... Sorry, go on.
2: No, I I, I was going to say, first of all, this is an incredible costume, Mm -hmm. and second, I, I wonder why he was not summoned until now, considering... Um, You know, the queen went all the way to those random kids to command them into attacking the mutants when she could probably have asked this of uh this dude.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's on purpose because while Captain Britain does serve Camelot, regardless of who rules it she's not the nicest person in the world as we're gonna see so i imagine trying to call the hero in to deal with it probably wasn't on her list of priorities
0: uh chris what did you learn about captain britain
1: oh boy uh i learned that dr brian braddock is captain britain and has been captain britain for a very long time uh in fact he was first introduced back in 1976 Uh, he has had his own run of comics, he has had his own teams, all sorts of stuff just throughout the years. Uh, and something to note with him is he got his powers from Merlin, the Merlin from Arthurian legend who is well and alive in the other world.
0: Yeah, uh, kind of interesting note with him, he's very connected with mutants kind of throughout his history despite not actually being one, uh... Again it is was on the original excalibur team which is a team of mostly mutants his whole family is one he is married to a mutant he's just a human though
1: -hmm okay arguably if you had to pick one in theory not not considering the character who's cooler Captain Britain or Captain America
0: hmm well captain Captain Britain has a cooler costume
2: I I refuse to answer this question. (laughs) I I hate them both equally.
1: That, you know, that is a fine answer in itself. Uh, I'd probably go with Captain Britain because magic is really sick. Uh, But as Brian is preparing to go to the other world, uh, Betsy just invites herself along. Uh, She really doesn't want to go back to Kokoa. She finds it very uncomfortable to be there, especially what happened with her and Psylocke. And she'd prefer to kind of have a distraction at this point. Uh, and thankfully for them, uh, Brian is just able to teleport himself into Camelot.
0: Just, just uh, quick, quick detour. Uh, can we comment on the Krakowin uh, costume technology? Yeah,
2: I was gonna, I was about to say um, she may not like Krakoa, but she takes advantage of the cool like costuming uh, apparatus.
0: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad that. This was a priority, like they, they knew.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like,
0: yeah, this is we're mutants. We're gonna be wearing costumes.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sure one of the first few things they did was uh, Krakowian plates, and then Krokoan outfits.
0: Yeah,
2: do you think that goo gun came after?
1: I think the goo gun came after because I think yeah. the plates were around for a bit. People were like, "Oh, that's gross," and then in the in between that they had the costumes. Now, the question is where did the homes come from? Was that way later or not? People seem to really like frolicking in fields for a long time.
0: Do you do you think someone in power specifically was pushing for the costume technology? I feel like this is an Xavier thing.
1: Actually, I feel like it's a Mr. Sinister thing.
0: Ooh, that's a good one too.
1: He would all be all about fashion. Absolutely. Yeah. Not for himself, obviously, but for others.
0: But anyway, in Camelot... <laughs>
1: In Camelot, uh, they are teleported right into the throne room, and they immediately find the growth of Crocoan flowers there. And they are confronted by Morgan Le Fay, who is surrounded by part of the coven that we saw earlier. And she basically immediately accuses the witch breed, thanks Captain Britain for bringing one of the witch breed here, and also accuses him of being a traitor for working with them.
0: So I I think you kinda touched on this earlier, Sergio, but I'm guessing that she kinda had an inkling that she wasn't going to be siding with Captain Britain here. Uh which is why she got the coven to just kinda become her henchman instead.
2: Sure. It sounds like she does he doesn't have much of a choice though.
0: Yeah. Um uh, maybe yeah, I don't know. She she does possess him quite easily.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. Before that happens, it does look like he has the choice of how to act upon this, or at least decline it. But he is still beholden to the throne of Camelot, so uh, eventually he does have to do something.
2: Yeah, um, she, uh, the queen. I mean, also seems to be very out of like tune with what's going on. Um, you know, even if she had to get information through like metaphor and like uh, approximations of. Uh, what's going on in in the language that she knows she should probably know that uh you know of the captain braden's family situation at least
0: yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's it's very interesting i'm guessing it's just from perspective of someone that just doesn't need to know this stuff but yeah she she feels very removed from it all
1: I I almost wonder if it's not that she doesn't know, it's that she doesn't care to know. She's very much treating people on Earth as, like, below her and beneath her, and everything that's happening in Camelot is far more important than whatever they're doing over there.
2: Yeah, Uh, even if it's to her detriment. Right.
1: Yes. Yeah, It, it seems like just a minor problem that she really doesn't want to deal with.
0: Yeah, but also she mm-hmm. is dealing with it. Like I don't I don't know if this quest to take out all witch breed is the best thing to be doing while you're under attack.
2: Yeah, like they were right at the like doorstep. Um maybe maybe she got that under control and we just didn't see it.
0: Yeah. Just I don't know, personally doesn't seem like the best use of her time, but meanwhile, uh meanwhile. Rogan Gambit.
1: Yes, we have a nice detour, obviously very needed, as uh, Rogue and Gambit absolutely not subtly talk about just making kids.
2: Uh-huh. Make more mutants.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's one of the rules.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I would count that as flirting. It is almost anti-flirting, just talking about the laws like that. But it seemed to work for Gambit, because he was all on board until they are interrupted by Trinary here, as Apocalypse has called them to help out.
0: Uh, recently married. Uh, very long-time couple, though. These two.
1: Yeah, I remember in the cartoon they were always at least flirting with each other, but I actually didn't know they were married here, so that's news to me. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, uh... So originally, the wedding was supposed to be for Kitty, Pride, and Colossus, but then Kitty changed her mind, and Rogue and Gambit said, "Well, there's a perfectly good wedding here. Let's get married," and that's how that happened.
1: Hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I'm
2: glad they made the best out of a bad situation.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that—that's the positive way to look at it. Also, good for Kitty. She—she she is way better than a, a Colossus. Don't at me on that.
0: So, uh, yeah, Apocalypse wants her to touch a touch a rock.
1: Yeah, so Apocalypse it was able to detect that uh, Betsy and Brian went to the other world and that they are likely in trouble. Uh, he really wants to get through this portal here to see where it goes, and he figured one of the best ways to try and take down this barrier that is blocking Earth from the other world, have the person that can take away powers just touch it and see what happens
0: yeah uh, again i i really apocalypse is really fun in this issue like just you got all this stuff going on apocalypse is just like hmm i wonder where this portal goes let's let's have rogue touch the rock let's just see Uh what it does why not uh but yeah i i think they're on board specifically because they figure out betsy's probably in trouble
1: Yeah, Uh, which, interestingly, is just on the word of Apocalypse, who they don't trust. So it is kind of weird that they're like, yeah, let's do this because Betsy's in trouble, even though they have no real proof of that.
0: uh, Rogue seems less skeptical than Gambit, to be fair. Uh,
1: That's Uh, that's, that's fair. And wasn't Gambit uh, a horseman of the Apocalypse at one point?
0: Probably, I I don't know that for sure, but that sounds correct. He's hasn't always been an X Men, but yeah, he's uh he's very suspicious of this. Uh, Jubilee strolls up, also very conveniently.
1: Yes, uh, apparently Apocalypse just sent out an all-points bulletin to everybody who ever talked to Betsy within this issue, Uh, and Jubilee rolls up because she was the last person to actually talk to Betsy before she disappeared. So Apocalypse figures that that psychic connection would allow them to get closer to her in this other dimension.
0: Yeah, and things in that other dimension are not going well.
2: Yep, Uh, things are about to go sideways in a really interesting way.
1: Yes, and uh, something to note just with these next couple of pages. Whenever we're here in Camelot, when there is this fighting going on with Morgan Le Fay, there's this really nice kind of green overtone with everything, whereas when we're on Krakoa, it's a lot brighter. There's a lot more oranges and reds and more of like a welcoming feeling to it, whereas we get to Camelot and immediately... Everything feels kind of gross.
0: Yeah, Morgan Le just comes with the palette of, like, a swamp level.
1: Yes, that is a very good way to put it. Uh, but it looks like the Coven members that are here can use magic very well, as they immediately begin to fight Betsy and her brother, and as this is going on, Morgan Le Fay begins casting a spell on Brian and effectively corrupts him under her will and forces him to do whatever it is that she wants.
0: Uh, f- fight is very generous. This, uh, this goes south real quick.
1: Well, I mean, uh, Betsy got like a-, a hit in there or two. She made a cool psychic shield.
0: Yeah, she she made a psychic shield and then swung her sword at Morgan Le Fay teleporting, I think, and that's that's it. That's it's done. Fight over.
1: Yep, as uh Brian is gonna get a very nice evil dark knight look as he immediately begins to attack Betsy. And Apocalypse is able to detect this using his own powers Uh, through the help of Jubilee's connection. He is able to sense uh, pretty much where she is, and not to mention as Rogue touches the gate, it is able to weaken the barrier enough to where Apocalypse can actually talk to Betsy and tell her what to do, and he immediately tells her to attack and destroy the Krokoan fauna that is coming through the Avalon waters.
2: Yeah, unfortunately she's a bit busy.
1: Yeah, she's she's trying to fight off getting her face beat in by an amulet because her brother is evil now and there's a bunch of angry witches and wizards, but eh, it's minor stuff.
2: Uh huh. Uh she does manage to like throw a sword at it, which I don't think is the best way to manage a plant infestation.
1: I, I also it's
2: probably her best shot.
1: Yeah. It is But it- um uh, one of her powers, or the way her power manifests, is she can make these really neat psychic daggers. Uh, and I I don't know when she upgraded to swords, but hey, it seems to work.
0: Yeah, um, it does. But also the gate's gone now.
1: And not only is the gate gone, but Rogue, who was touching the gate as Betsy blew it up seems to have something wrong as she's kind of out of it and she goes to touch the crocoan Krako- the fauna that is there, and she immediately turns into Sleeping Beauty, but if she was made of flowers.
0: Yeah. Um, Betsy makes kind of a final struggle against Brian here and manages to get the amulets. Um, Brian manages to insist greatly that she should keep it.
1: Mhm.
0: It, it's I don't know, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's it's very much like him going against the mind control but in a way where he's still technically obeying her.
1: Yeah, it it's it's the fun mind control trope of the person being controlled is fighting someone they care for so they're able to fight through enough to be able to help them. Yeah. So, and the amulet here that she takes is the amulet of right. It is the amulet that gives Captain Britain's their power. Uh, so she takes it, puts it on, and is gone in a flash.
0: Yeah, uh, and then back on Krakoa, Gambit is not too happy with Apocalypse, but they are very quickly distracted by Betsy showing back up as Captain Britain.
1: Yep, and as Apocalypse says, the hero of legend, hail Captain Britain. As she stands there, not too disturbed that she is now wearing a completely different costume, but is more concerned that Rogue is now a flower.
0: Yeah, um, interesting turn of events here.
2: Yeah, um, I I think it's really fun the way things, uh, go fast, uh, in these last few pages.
0: Yeah, um... They, they end up in a mess and just very quickly find a way out of the mess, but yeah, it's just kind of a very sharp downward spiral into uh-oh.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, it feels like they ended up with a bigger mess.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes, it does. It, it Basically, they're trying to hold on to everything and everything keeps falling out of their hands as they pick up more stuff. And that's kind of the way this run goes, at least for a good while. It's very fast-paced. Things keep going. You know, it's beat after beat after beat. It's fun in its own right. I do like Excalibur. I think this is a very fun way to take mutants. I would not have guessed magic as the route that they would go down. So, it's kind of a fun take on it.
0: Yeah, and then we get a a brief little epilogue here where uh, Mariana Stern, who was the leader of that coven, I think killed them all, and is now joining a different coven, Coven
1: Aqaba. Mm-hmm. It, briefly, we just see how those few coven members were able to be with Morgan Le Fay through murder. And, yeah, she says she does not want the burden of leadership. She instead wants the humility of membership. And she joins the sacred Coven Aqaba. And they also have a uh, very fun manifesto here at the end. That basically fires back at Apocalypse and says, "No, no, no! Man is the true inheritors of magic, not mutants."
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah, pretty pretty interesting little uh, setting of the the world here, or setting of the table, I guess, with the first issue of Excalibur. Uh, there is a lot going on.
2: Yeah. Um. The the setting itself, like the table setting uh, feels very um, convoluted. Mm-hmm. But I feel like once we get started and uh, things get moving, it's a lot of fun, even though it doesn't really make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I, I do think the characters here don't play off each other as well, I think, as the other two issues we've read. Uh, and while you do get like a little bit of like kind of character moments with Betsy, I don't know if you have as many of them. Uh, Apocalypse, I think, is really fun here, but every character just kind of treating him as a threat, I don't know, works as well.
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't rate these one as high as the other two we've read, uh, but I still enjoyed it. I, I think there's aspects uh, to like here.
0: Yeah, it it's definitely interesting. I, I like the direction this is
1: going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would agree. I do think uh, Apocalypse is the most interesting part of this, besides the table setting itself of magic and a different world. Uh, I think having him here not directly in a villain role is a very fun change and experiment of his character. Uh, And I'm excited to see how that grows as time goes on. Maybe he goes back to the villain uh, side of himself. Not sure. Uh, But I agree it is kind of scattered a little bit it's very fast um and we'll see how it keeps going with the other ones i do think marauders has a better team composition as they play off of each other but maybe these guys will grow on us
0: uh betsy is captain sorry go on yeah i
2: think scattered is right uh because you know even betsy's journey through this issue like she starts at the academy then she goes on to then she. Returns to the Academy, goes to Camelot from there, uh, goes back to Krakow. There's a lot going on, uh, even if this one is longer than usual, like the issues that we're going to be reading afterwards.
0: Yeah, um, and again, you you had some stuff that I, I just do think kind of felt a little bit clunky, Jubilee, just kind of walking into the plot, for example. But, I don't know, it's... It's interesting. I'm interested to see where it ends up going with Betsy being Captain Britain. Is that a temporary thing or permanent? How how are the countries going to react to that?
1: Yes. Sure. Yeah, because we also have that Captain Britain is the defender of Great Britain. So the fact that that has now changed hands is also a big deal. Uh, I do want to say, I think out of the ones we've read so far, including New Mutants, which we're going to get to, I think Excalibur is the least new reader friendly. There's a lot of things here that are not explained. They're just kind of thrown at you. And without a lot of background, at least to how Otherworld works, Captain Britain, uh, Psylocke and all of that, I don't think it's very cohesive to people who don't know any of that stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I would agree. Uh, Before the podcast, I did tell you this one's the one that felt like needed the most onboarding for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was the same way when I first read it. I had a lot of questions about what is the other world? Why are there Arthurian legends here? Why is there a Captain Britain? Uh, All these other questions that the comic doesn't exactly answer in its number one. I don't say all number ones need to answer that, but at least a little bit of background I think would have helped. Yeah. All right. Did we have we any uh, ready
2: to move on to the next one?
1: Yeah. Did we have any final thoughts here about uh, the great mystery of Great Britain, or do we want to jump over to the New Mutants?
0: Uh, yeah.
2: Well, t- no. I I do want to say that I think uh, Tim made a good observation earlier with the uh, name changes. There's a lot of name changing and like references to uh, taking on new identities in this uh, issue. And I think I I hadn't noticed that until Tim pointed that out.
0: Yeah. It. it- I would actually say I think that's kind of a pretty consistent thing across these number ones so far. You kinda of had a similar thing with uh Kate Pride as well. Uh Yeah. So yeah, it, it seems to be the theme on was so far is you know, we're we're exploring a new identity.
2: Right. Definitely a thread uh going across this.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's even true of the new mutants. Uh, which we're going to get over here to New Mutants number 1, The Sextant. It is written by Jonathan Hickman and also Ed Bryson. Uh, I am not sure which parts were written by whom, but they are both credited here. Uh, This was released in November of 2019. And as we jump into it, we open to a very beautiful uh, scenic shot of Krakoa, as Rain Sinclair, also known as Wolfsbane, is sitting and thinking about her resurrection, as Storm and Xavier have just brought her back to life.
2: Yeah, uh, first thing that struck me here is the art. It's uh, it really stands apart from what we've seen so far, and it's beautiful. Uh, like there's very few um like edges to things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there there's a very uh, purposeful style here that looks just beautiful.
1: Mm -hmm. I want to say it's more of like a painterly style, but I'm sure there's a better technical term for it. Uh, but everything really pops here. Anything that is a bright color really stands out and it's very, very pretty.
2: Yeah. I think it really looks like, I don't know if there's been a filter applied to it, but it looks like it's painted on a canvas. Like there's a very material feeling to the page
0: yeah, that, that's that's a good way to put it. It's... It, yeah, I don't know. It's gorgeous.
1: So, and something to note here is as Spain is brought back, Storm basically directly says that the past is the past. This is a new start. This is a new place, a new paradise for mutants to try out new things. And this is important uh, as another mutant arrives. Her name is Karma. And she goes and sits next to Wolfsbane and essentially says that if she needs to talk about any of the traumas or any of the past experiences that may have bothered her, she's open to conversation.
0: This is a this is kind of a nice moment for Wolfsbane here. Uh, she was in the run before this one and had a uh, death in that run that was uh, a little bit mean So just seeing her back alive and having this focus on that specifically is just—it's kind of just nice.
1: I also think it's a very nice introspective moment, uh, especially coming off of Excalibur, which was very, you know, go go go. There wasn't a lot of really internal thoughts. This is a very nice kind of not not reserved. uh, I don't think that's the correct term, uh, but it's not direct. It's not in your face of like, oh, Storm said this, but I'm going to say this. It's, you know, it's just a natural flowing conversation of friends talking between each other.
0: Right. And it, also, I just kind of want to take note, I, I really, again, I, I feel like it's very much like a Wolf frolicking in the flowers type panel, but I really like this panel of Wolfsbane just kind of sitting on a rock looking happy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, I was about to point that out. Uh I think that's a very sweet image even though I don't know nothing about Wolfsbane. Um uh that that does a lot to her characterization. I I think it's a very good panel like on its own.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it tells
2: me a lot about the character.
0: Yeah, it's it's good stuff. I yeah. Shout out. Good keep it up.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh you you can tell from here um like that contemplative aspect uh she's kind of optimistic it, it's a very expressive smile uh, i really appreciate it yeah
1: mm-hmm. there's also a, a touch of innocence to it i think it's the way she's sitting she's got her knees up her hands are in front of her knees it, it's not childlike but it's very innocent
0: yeah she's, yeah,
2: she's barefoot
0: she's enjoying her day it's mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. just watching the birds mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, our, our cast here is a little bit interesting, too. Um, so the New Mutants were a team originally kind of designed as, like, the junior X-Men. Uh, all of this cast, except for Mondo, who I have actually never seen before, and Chamber, were on that original team. Hmm. So this is kind of a reunion. These characters are older now. But, uh, yeah, this is... Uh, Very similar to the original New Mutants team, I think they're just missing Magma.
2: Not-so-New Mutants. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: Not-so-New.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, So, as we get introduced to everybody, uh, we meet Mondo and Cypher. Uh, It seems like Cypher has asked Mondo if he can connect with Krakoa itself, and even though he is trying using his mutant powers, he's not able to do so. So, Cypher asks if Krakoa can do the opposite, and try and connect with Mondo, which he is able to do with horrifying effects.
0: Well, at at first, yeah, so they have uh, Krakoa try to puppet Mondo instead of the other way around. Uh, Yeah, this gets creepy. Uh Uh-huh,
2: I think it's really funny.
0: Yeah, uh, Krakoa is manifest on Mondo's stomach. And uh-huh. they they have a very brief conversation, and then Krakoa says, "Yeah, I don't like this too much," and uh, that's the end of that.
2: Yeah, I, I wonder is this saying that uh, Krakoa can use human language when Mondo is being used as a conduit, or is Krakoa still talking as, uh, you know, the the weirdest language that on Cipher could. Uh, figure out.
0: I want to say it's that the uh, parentheses around his dialogue usually implies that they aren't speaking English.
2: Okay. Yeah,
0: not so useful though. Yeah.
1: No, not at all. Uh,
0: Also, uh, apparently while he's doing this, it puts actual Mondo in some weird mindscape void thing. Uh, Very unpleasant experience for both Krakawa and Mondo here.
2: Yeah, uh loft to be locked into a dark void while an island manifests through my stomach.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that feels great when you come out of the void too and back to your body. I'm sure that's not weird or anything.
0: Uh Mondo says if Cypher asks him to do that again, he's going to punch him. Uh Cypher says, Yeah, fair enough.
1: Mm-hmm. And also, uh, yeah. shout-outs to Cypher's outfit here. I really like it. He, he's kind of got, like, a yellow theme going on, but he's got a nice jacket, and the sleeve that is more uh, robotic for him is just gone, so you just see all of the robotic piece that is on his right arm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And moving on from that weird experience, uh, we are here at the Academos habitat, uh, or the Sextant it is a large grouping of buildings here by a mountain, and we are introduced to some more characters. Uh, we see Sunspot and Mirage here as they walk through this area and essentially reminisce about the history of mutants and how things have changed so much.
2: Yeah, this is actually our first look at a community here, uh, what a town kind of thing would look like. Mm-hmm. I I really like them taking cues from uh, Nemec. because every every habit, every pod is like a dome house.
1: Yes, I I also really like that. It's a really good design choice. Uh, props. And to they've Pro- even got their
2: own. They've they've even got their own Pokemon arena.
1: Yeah. So whenever you need to get out some anger and fight, I'm sure they can go there. Um, uh huh. And we do see a couple of mutants here in the background just doing a couple things. Two of them are trying to get something out of a tree. There's another mutant here uh, yelling at some younger mutants. Another group here talking. So it's just nice to see how the community is just kind of going. Things things are moving. Things are changing. They're not all frolicking in the forest still.
2: Yeah. There's a mention here later about a school. Uh, I'm sad that we don't get to... Look at the school, but at least they've got something going at uh, as far as like education goes.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm sure they realized after all of the kids that they're saving and also that they're inviting here. They should probably have some kind of guidance, especially since most of the people here started at Xavier school.
2: Yeah. Uh, there's two kids cosplaying as Knuckles. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, yeah, they basically are. Uh, they kind of look like pennants uh, back from... Powers of X. Uh, she kind of had the red uh Knuckles thing going on. So there's two mini hers just running around.
2: Uh-huh. It also seems like their costumes are made entirely out of belts.
1: A very final fantasy, and I'm kinda of here for it.
0: Hmm. They uh the Hellions, I think, are also here, at least Empath is, who were uh Emma Frost's versions of the New Mutants, which I think is kinda of cool in the very last panel of this page uh i like this this conversation between sunspot and mirage is kind of fun i like them just reminiscing
2: yeah um especially coming off of excalibur this is a very nice breather so far
0: yeah it's I, i i feel like this tells you kind of a lot about the relationship between them and just kind of informs just how the rest of these people are going to interact with each other
2: yeah, I, I really appreciate how we've turned the lens from like the center of Krakow where all of the major big mutants are and things are going sideways, mostly because of their own hubris, to these, like, I don't know if it's one of their bigger or smaller communities, but it seems very pastoral and uh, calm and it doesn't look like anyone's about to open an interdimensional portal to anywhere in particular. Um it seems just like a nice day, uh, very nice sky as it looks like. Uh, we're closer to sundown. It's it's a really nice vibe.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's is? Uh, is there another definition of six tant I'm missing? By the way.
2: Um, I'm not sure. Um, is it a reference to there being six of them? There's more than six of them. Well, it, so it cannot be that.
0: It, it's a six tent. Which is a navigational instrument, apparently.
2: Yeah, I, I know what a sextant is. I'm not sure how that relates to this um yeah. this issue in particular.
0: Yeah, I, I don't either.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm also not sure there. I'm drawing a blank on that one.
2: Yeah, maybe we'll find out by the end. Yeah. Let's let's revisit that uh after after we've read the whole
0: issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh... Speaking of that, we are going to get to the coffee talk as uh, Sunspot and Mirage make it to their home. And here is Chamber and Magic as they have brewed some coffee that one of the new mutants, uh, Fauna, was able to make for everybody. And uh, Magic is very possessive of her coffee.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, fair enough apparently it smells real good. Uh-huh. Which
1: will probably make up for the fact that it was made in a very disgusting manner, at least according to Mondo, uh, as he, Cypher, Wolfsbane, and Karma all also show up at this time to just kind of hang out with everybody. But Mondo is the only one to refuse the offer of coffee.
2: Yeah. Um, i do at least not to mention that there is a mention of a sextant here, but I don't understand the the context. Um, they say, "So here we are in the sixth generation of Homo Superior, trying something new—a mutant sextant." Um, but I, I don't know what that what that word means in this context.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: is it about discovering a new place?
0: Yeah. That that was kind of what I was thinking about with the line. Also, i have just I'm yeah i'm really not sure it might be that i i'm thinking the reference might just be a, a sextant a sextant is used to discover and that's kind of what they're doing but i don't know uh-huh th- they do mention they're the sixth generation
1: yeah so it, yeah, it might th- that's just... still
2: not what that word means <laughs> it, yeah, yeah it's, so... it
0: is still not you are right um but I, I did make that connection with number six. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think the only thing I can imagine is it is them being like a lens to discover like a new way of living, maybe. But I, I again, I feel like I'm reaching for that.
2: Yeah, let's go back to the coffee.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and as everybody's just kind of hanging out and having a nice time together. Uh, Sunspot and Mirage just have a moment where Sunspot mentions that uh, the person who would love this the most is Sam. It seems to be one of their friends who is currently several hundred thousand light years away with his family in Shi'ar space.
0: Yeah, so I I, I forgot about this actually. Uh, when I said this is all of the original New Mutants except for Magma it is all of them except for Magma and Sam who was Cannonball. Um, so, yeah, he's he's in space, and Sunspot proposes a little road trip here. So, just to uh, talk about this a little bit more, uh, these two were always kind of friends in their original New Mutants, but they were also Avengers, briefly, in a Avengers run that was done before this, uh, written by Jonathan Hickman as well. Um they were kind of just as in the best friend type roles, but Cannonball ended up getting married to another member of the team called Smasher, who is a human who serves under the Shi'ar. So he's living there now. Hmm. They have Mm -hmm. a kid too, but yeah. yeah, So they, they want to go find their friend. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, very convenient that, uh, Someone's got a ship with a portal uh, inside.
0: Yeah, uh, very, very lucky.
1: Mm-hmm. And we are very quickly reintroduced to the Starjammers as they very conveniently have a gate on their ship that allows them to just come on board and hang out, which is very convenient as the Starjammers are headed to Shi'ar space anyway. So why not tag along?
0: Yeah, uh, I really like how they set this up in X-Men, actually. Uh, It it feels very natural. It doesn't feel like there is, like, it doesn't feel like the plan is to eventually get the new mutants on the ship. But the the way it leads into that is like, yeah, it makes sense. They they got a portal there. Why not?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Which, considering these come out relatively close to each other, uh, I'm interested to know how they all came to that decision, all these different writers, of like, oh, hey, I have this, we're gonna give Corsair a portal, and then maybe the writer here for New Mutants was like, oh, you know what, I'll just have them go on there so they can go get Sam.
0: Well, it's Hickman and Hickman.
1: True. I mean, we do have Ed Bryson here, (laughs) so maybe it was a little bit more, but... There, there's still some connections there.
0: Yeah, I, I know what Bryson ends up doing. I, I'm going to say he probably had a lot of stuff kind of in the background for this. I am I am assuming this is mostly Hickman, just based on what I know about the rest of this run.
1: Okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, So as they are on board here, we have Cypher and Mondo taking a walk through the ship to try and find the entrance that they all entered in. It is a nice kind of uh, terrarium habitat that is kept here on the ship and uh, interestingly to note Mondo says that kind of wearing Krokoa as he was covered in kind of grass and greenery uh, is kind of itchy compared to normal earth, normal grass and everything
0: yeah uh, he's gonna go play in the dirt
1: yep and just clean himself of Crocoa. And uh, as they find the portal again, uh, they discuss that they do have another Krokoan flower with them for when they get into Shi'ar space so they can have another way back home. Uh, And we have our star jammer friend show back up, uh, Ch'od. He is the one who kind of controls this biome and regulates it. Uh, And he is here because he noticed that the biome is no longer working like it should. And it seems like having the two Krokoan plants so close to each other causes both of them to want to terraform everything around them.
0: Also, they killed a bunch of plants that he was growing as a delicacy.
2: I can relate to his pain of, like, growing something and then it just being ruined.
0: Yeah, he's he's not happy.
2: No.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I do kind of think it's... Vaguely sinister that Krakoa, not even directly, will just want to aggressively terraform everything around it. That that sounds kind of parasitic, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, he he wants them off the ship. Uh, they they end up putting the flower in Mondo, and that seems to uh do the trick of not giving them the readings. But yeah, they, they are they are not being good guests at the moment.
2: No, um. These these guys don't strike me as a group that would be a good guest uh, in particular.
1: Yeah, a b- bunch of young adults with powers, kind of... Being not, menaces. Not, yeah, being menaces, you know. They're they're um confident in who they are and their power set, so they're just kind of going to do what they want.
2: Yeah, they're not particularly self-serious.
1: No, and we see that too as several days later on the ship... Uh, Magic, and another one of these Starjammers, is having a uh, sword fighting contest, as everybody is watching, including Sunspot and Corsair, who have a bet to see who wins.
0: This is a uh, Raza, I believe. Uh, mm. But, yeah. Um, gets his arm cut off. Should
2: have gone for the hand for the Star Wars reference.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. But... Uh, After we see that, uh, the wager here is Kentucky Bourbon, um, Raza smashes magic in the face. She gets incredibly upset, swings her sword down, cuts through his sword and his robotic arm. Uh, I also have to mention that this is the second time we have seen magic kind of more intense. Uh, whenever this happens, the artist kind of paints red over it and uses, like, very, very sharp colors and often breaks the, uh, Boxes that are here uh, throughout the comic, and it works really well. It, it's a very good way to kind of show how intense things are suddenly getting. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's really effective. Uh, we get an example of that in the next page, I believe, with uh... what's the start? What the Starjammers leader's name?
0: Uh, Corsair.
2: Corsair. Okay, um, with his face.
0: Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh Because one day later, they do get to the benevolence. Uh, which is at the edge of Shi'ar space. It is kind of a refueling station. Uh, And Corsair says that this is going to get a little intense, and they all need to talk. Uh, Especially considering the Starjammers are pirates and are wanted by the Shi'ar Empire for a vast list of crimes.
0: Uh Yeah, we get a little wanted poster in the next page. It it looks pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, they've... uh... They got themselves a pretty, uh, pretty long rap sheet here.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, just minor things like assault, theft, murder, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, very, uh, I I. think we need to address probably the most important thing here, and that is lewd behavior.
1: Mm-hmm. Or, uh, my second favorite one, which is just spitting.
2: Yeah. Don't do That's that. That's heinous crime, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But hey, if you turn them in, you can get several million uh, Shi'ar coins. I don't know what they're actually called, but they're worth a lot of money.
0: Uh, anyway, we get kind of a data page next on the benevolence.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was originally a transit station, but because of things elsewhere in the Empire, it has been uh, kind of changed into a repository for exotic materials. Uh, specifically they mentioned something called the king egg, which is an egg of the brood, and it pretty much very clearly says, don't touch it.
0: Yeah, so, so kind of what they're talking about here with the brood is that this is kind of the spawning ground for them. Uh, they expect them to move on at some point, but they keep not because of just some uh, odd planetary stuff. Uh, I love how the tone changes to the very matter of fact, fact based, like benevolent stuff when it gets to the king egg, you just get beware the king egg. Uh so yeah, uh don't don't mess with this thing. You you might mm-hmm. summon the brood.
2: Yeah. I mean anyone who's played a StarCraft knows not to mess with the brood.
0: Uh Sergio, what do you know about the brood? Do you know anything about the brood? Have they showed up in Marvel Snap?
2: I don't think so. No. Uh,
0: So the Brood are a race of aliens that are parasitic. They will take over the host. Uh, It is very hard to reverse that. It's very quick. uh, Does not seem like a fun time. Uh, Do not seem like a pleasant species to run into.
2: Do they look like bugs?
0: No, unfortunately not.
2: Do they look like... um... Uh, what's the, uh, face craps? Uh,
0: similar, they're like armored bugs, almost.
2: Hmm. Huh. Okay.
1: And a fun play on this is we are brought to Corsair and a meeting of the new mutants, where he basically tells them to stay on the ship, they have pirate business, and tells them that the reason that they can't go onto the space station is because it. Currently, is under control by a bunch of religious zealots who will arrest anyone for any minor infraction.
0: Uh, which, c-
1: considering miss- what- Oh, go ahead.
0: I'm sorry, you're, you're missing a very important detail here and that is that they have four arms.
1: Sorry, yes. I, this is scary for some people, so I'm sorry, but the zealots here do have four arms and will arrest you if you even sneeze in their direction.
0: Lo- lots of prisons here.
1: Yes, lots of torture chambers, specifically. Uh, but this is a very fun play on it, as we just learned. This is just a storage facility. I don't think it's a home for a bunch of zealots out here with four arms. Oh
0: yeah, no, it's it's very clearly a lie. So, uh-huh.
2: do you think this works better uh, having just had the data page, or would you have saved the data page for later?
0: Uh, I I think it works like this.
1: I, I also think yeah. it works uh, because it makes the joke that's about to show up a lot better. Um, essentially, everybody says, "Yeah, we're not going to listen to him. Let's go on the let's go on the ship." And Sunspot says, "Well, no, we should stay here. We'll just hang out. You know, we're we're going to go see Sam. You know, whatever." And uh, they all disagree. Mirage tells him to go grab the bourbon that he won, so he walks out, and they immediately teleport out. And we get two last panels of Sunspot walking in with the bourbon. And he just goes, yeah, I, I should have seen that one coming.
0: Uh,
2: yeah, this is such a standard joke in, like, teenage movies. Yeah. There's there's always a responsible one.
0: Yeah, it, it works real well, though. I, I love coarse hair trying to scare them. And then they're just like, yeah, let's go save some people. Because of course they would. Have you met this group of teens? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: They were trained by the X-Men. They are heroes in their own right. They're they're not going to sit by if a bunch of... Four-armed Shi'ar people are torturing people.
0: I, I say teens, I'm pretty sure they're like... Twenties now. But it's still... I, I That is the vibe.
2: Right. Um, not so young adults.
0: Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, and uh, also funny enough... They teleport in using Magic's ability... And Wolf Spain immediately climbs up on top of this mechanical thing and touches an egg,
0: yeah, like just instantly they're like, "hmm, this is kind of weird, and then they go touch the thing they're not supposed to touch mm-hmm, beware the king egg uh starjammers enter the room. they're like, "What are you guys doing?" uh yeah, very everyone is confused, and uh yeah,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, the new mutants pretty much immediately sniff out that this is not a horrible hell torture prison. And Corsair's like, yeah, you're right. I mean, the Shi'ar only have one religion anyway, so I don't know why you even believed me. Uh, But hey, we got pirate stuff to do, so please leave.
0: Yeah, uh, but unfortunately, before they get teleported out, they get attacked by the Shi'ar, who are not happy someone is trying to rob them
1: hmm Uh-huh.
2: They may not have four arms, but they've still got guns.
0: Yep.
1: Guns and very fun arrowhead hair helmet things.
2: Uh-huh. And uh, their way out is out cold.
0: Yeah, uh, the Starjammers dip. And yeah, they're just alone here with the dudes with guns.
1: Mm-hmm. Which I, I think is kind of funny. I know the Starjammers keep saying that, hey, we're pirates... We do pirate stuff. But I also would have figured that somebody who was Cyclops' dad would have been like, yeah, no, let's go save the kids and bring them back. But no, he's just like immediately, nah, let's get out of here. Let's dip. They have their own problems.
0: Yeah. They, they were already doing him a favor. They were giving him a ride, and then they went off and did some something dumb.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think um, they were on good terms with most of the crew. So maybe uh, Corsair figures... He would have lost that boat anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and we actually get a very funny panel of that as the Starjammers make it back on the ship, and Sunspot is there is basically like, "Hey, where's my friends?" Uh, Sunspot and course- is
0: sitting in the captain's chair. By the way, I just I don't know. It's it's funny. This whole scene is funny.
1: Yeah, uh, and something to mention too, uh, when Sunspot won the bourbon uh, from Corsair, he was kind of a dick about it. He was just really rubbing it in his face um which kind of makes sense here as sunspot is like well what do you mean why do, you, why do we deserve it why are you just leaving my friends and every member of the star jammers gives a reason why they hate these kids
0: uh huh um yeah uh course hair says he stole his whiskey sunspot looks very pleased when he says you lost that fair and square uh, Coarse Hair just frowns and makes almost a sad face and says, get off my ship, essentially.
2: Uh-huh. Fuck around, find out.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good it's, stuff.
1: It's, it's fun. There's really good comedic timing in this comic. Uh, and we even get more of that here as, uh, Sunspot stands, finishes the bourbon, and is like, Well, you know what? Here's where I save the day. And then we Loose. immediately cut to all of them being caught.
0: ...looks directly at the reader as he's saying this.
2: Yeah, once again, expressions <laughs> on point in this issue.
0: Right. Yeah, the The next panel is Sunspot standing with the rest of his friends surrendering.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, but it's okay, because Sunspot has the name of a really good space lawyer... ...and the last page that we get here is a data page of the space lawyer... With probably one of my favorite slogans, which is "Justice is blind, and so are we."
2: He looks so funny. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, I love this gag. You know it's coming, but it's still really effective.
0: Yeah, I don't know. This is it. It's a good issue.
2: <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um. This last joke again. It there's a chance that uh it could be overplayed because the uh space, space lawyer joke comes up a couple of times. It still pays off. Yeah. Uh, really effectively, and I think it's largely because of the really good illustrations in this issue. Like it's probably the the most beautiful um, like set of pages we've read.
0: Yeah, I, I would for definitely agree with that. I think of especially of the number ones. I think it is far and away the best art wise. It's it's gorgeous, good stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yes, just a really solid issue. I really like this one. I would, uh, maybe put it in the same level as more others uh, from the previous episode.
0: Yeah, um, I Hickman does big picture stuff a lot. Uh, Hickman also really likes doing a comedy issue every once in a while, and he does do a pretty good job at that. I think his dialogue works really well. He really likes writing Sunspot, and you can tell. Uh yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of fun.
2: This feels like this is on the like at least adjacent to the sort of humor that the MCU Marvel's uh what is it, Guardians of the Galaxy do? Uh which is funny because they're also in space.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, I, I, I really appreciate us um being apart from like Magneto Magnetos and Xaviers and all of uh, like apocalypse concerns like being literally and figuratively far away from uh the the immediate uh you know the the immediate Krakoan like Quiet Council uh concerns
0: yeah it's it's friends doing going on a dumb adventure and getting into hijinks uh-huh. Uh huh. like, like I don't, I don't know how much of this is going to affect the larger plot. Probably not much at all. But it's really fun and it's enjoyable, and you know that's good too.
2: Yeah, the, the characters seem to have very good rapport too, so it's fun to see them interact. Uh, they are kind of assholes. Uh, but you know they're good kids, like uh, good-hearted. Um, kind of troublemaker is is a good archetype. It's something that I can really enjoy, and this seems like it's going on that direction.
0: Yeah, like them busting into the benevolence to try to go save people is very much the wrong thing to do, but it comes from a place of, hey, let's try to save some prisoners. Yeah. so I yeah,
2: can't really blame them for that.
0: Yeah.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So, I think I'm going to be maybe the dissenting voice on this one. Uh, I don't dislike this. I still do enjoy this issue, and I what I was hoping for is discussing it with all of you would make me more positive on it, and it has. Uh, but I still come away from this issue feeling like these are characters with a history and relationships that I don't know. And it feels like this is written for people who know who they are already. You know, we have the reference with Wolf Spain and her past. We have Sam, who we haven't met here, but they're willing to go on the adventure to go get him. And just a bunch of connections that are implied, but not actually expressed. While that's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, like I said, for me, it just feels like this was written for people who like the New Mutants and who know who the New Mutants are already.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I... I... I see what you're saying, I just, I don't know if I really agree with it. I I think the relationship between these characters is expressed enough just through how familiar they seem with each other. Uh, like, you, you get the vibe when you're listening to Cypher and Mondo talk. Like, I've, I have never seen Mondo before, previously. I, I don't know where he is or how he exists in the New Mutants canon, but... Like, when those two characters are conversing, I get the feel of, this is a relationship. This is two characters that know each other. And I don't know, I, yeah. just, I think um, that comes across well.
2: Yeah, reading reading it uh, the second time around for me, the thing that reminds me the most of like their interactions and the kind of group dynamics that they have is Until Dawn the horror video game, Mm -hmm. because that also starts in media res. Like, these are friends that have been hanging out for a while, and um, there is no media that depicts that, like, the beginning of their relationship with what has happened before the game begins. Uh, But they rely on such, like, base uh, relationship archetypes that you get the five pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I haven't read anything of The New Mutants, but I still get the vibes from their very short interactions. You know, there's the one that gets angry usually. Uh, they're all really good friends. There's one that's more introspective. Uh, but in the end, when they're together, they become like these, as I said, good-hearted troublemakers. And it, it feels like such, like, base interactions. I don't want to say they're one-dimensional. I'm sure they've got a lot going on. And, like, Until Dawn has great characters. Uh but they rely on like tropes that are really easy to identify, and those are very good like anchor points uh that ground the characters and the uh, group dynamics for me right uh, in a way that I don't really need like uh to to read what has happened before
1: mm-hmm and that's what I'm hoping is gonna happen as we keep doing this uh because when these originally came out, I did read all of the X-Men runs that are here. But there were a couple I stopped reading, and New Mutants was actually one of them. Uh, and oh. it wasn't until later I went back and I actually caught up with all of New Mutants. So now I do know these characters a bit, and I did look into a couple of them, like Magic in particular. Um And I will say, reading this again and discussing it again, uh, I have come away with it being like, okay, I see where these connections are. I see where these character uh, pieces are coming from. It's funny. You know, it's very beautiful, too. There's still just a piece of it that doesn't click for me. I really don't know what it is. It's just a personal thing. Uh, But I did enjoy this. I do think this is really good, and I'm excited to keep reading it with both of you.
2: Sure, that's fair. Um, also, circling around with the Sextant stuff, I think uh, we're going to get there in issue number three. I didn't really get spoiled. Uh, I got a spoiled on one single data page that comes up later, um, but the Sextant is just the habitat that we saw, like the entire collection of buildings. And it's uh, an alias for what's actually called the Academus Habitat, because it's Uh, the area that younger mutants occupy in the island. Uh, And that's why they were talking about education facilities, because there's a bunch of schools there.
1: Got it. That would make sense. Yeah, because they do reference both of those places, but don't really say what they are. So that makes a lot of sense, actually.
2: Yeah, I think the issue is when they mention the sextant, you're not really sure if they're talking about the house or themselves or the habitat, the whole place. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's the the whole thing. We're gonna get a map later. Yeah. I I still think that's not what that word means, but it does make sense if it's there's six houses. Uh someone thought sextant sounded cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes a word uh, just has a good feel to it.
2: Yeah, yeah, that like sextant is a good uh Animal Crossing Island name.
1: Ooh, yeah, it would be. Uh-huh. So, but that's something to look forward to. Uh so Wrapping up this episode here, uh, did either of you have any more thoughts, feelings?
2: No, no, I've been having a really good time checking out uh, number one issues. I'm excited to discuss the next two. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty much done, too. Um, Do we? So next week we will be covering X-Force number one and Fallen Angels number one.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, and that will be our last slate of number ones uh, as we get to those two. Um, After that, we're just going to go into following issues of the stories that we're reading here. Um, So look forward to that.
2: Yeah, that's two weeks from now, Tim. You said next week.
0: Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, (laughs) I am so sorry. Two weeks from now. (laughs) Uh
2: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All right, then.
1: All right. Well, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, uh, maybe you can explain to us why they called it th- the sextant. Uh, you can send us an email at Studyofx at gmail.com uh, and we will read it here uh, on the show here. Uh, if you would like to follow us on social media, uh, you can follow us at Study of X on Twitter or at of X on Tumblr. Uh, on there, we are also posting the reading order that we're going for. So if you're not sure what we're going to be reading next, you can always check it out there. Uh, and Yeah, Chris,
2: Chris made a very nice image to showcase the reading order. So check that out.
1: And if you are looking for any of us on social medias, uh, you can follow me at Sonics on Twitter. It is S-A-W-N-E-E-K-S. Uh and Sergio, where can they find you?
2: Yeah, people can find me at Twitter or co-host at uh Fireblend, F-I-R-E-B-L-E-N-D.
1: Alright, and Tim, can they find you in the other world?
0: Yeah, you can find me at Captive Britain. Hmm. I mean hmm. uh at Captive Britain. Uh, oh. uh, okay, I was oh, gonna
1: say that makes more sense. I, I yeah, think you yeah. do have to be a British citizen to be a Captain Britain. I mean, maybe not, I'm not sure. I don't know the intricacies of it. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: plenty of people have been capped by, by Britain, so
1: yeah, uh, oof, that that is uh too true, <laughs> that is very too true. Uh, and we're gonna end on that somber note. Um Yeah, just.
2: I I do want to say now that we've covered all of um, House effects and Powers effects. If you know of anyone that might be into this podcast and would like to like binge through that series and maybe get into it, um, let them know. We we kind of do need an audience.
1: Yeah. Yes, that would be super helpful. Uh, You know, Uh post it a couple different places. Show it to friends. Uh, if you could also leave reviews on your favorite podcasting app or site, that would also be super helpful. Uh, just let people know how much you love us, because clearly you do.
0: Ra- rate us on Apple, yeah. please. I- I- I've heard that's the good one.
1: Oh, is that the good one? Is that where all the kids hang out?
0: Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think that's good for us if they rate us positively on Apple Podcasts. So yeah, just, just give us one of those uh, sweet, sweet five-star reviews.
2: Yeah, get that Macintosh out of your garage and um, rate us on there.
1: Yeah. Mhm. Uh, if Makes you do. Make
0: Steve Jobs proud.
1: If you do that, Tim will write you a handwritten thank you card.
0: Yeah, you can find it on my Twitter. Mhm.
2: All right then.
1: All right. Well, until next time. Later, mutants. Bye. Bye.